everyone, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two or so grown men watch every single episode of Nickelodeon's classic TV horror anthology show for children, Are You Afraid of the Dark?, and try to figure out if it's still even just a little bit scary. I am host number one. My name is David Dykus. I live in Nashville. Uh, I am host number two, Eli. I am in Austin, Texas. I don't know why we're saying this part, but that's cool. Uh, is, is, is this me? <laughs> Go for yes. it. I am guest number one. <laughs> and I, my name is John, and I am uh, also a grown man, and I'm from upstate New York. That's right. We've, Hello, John. We've got John with Hello. us. Uh, horror author and friend of the show is here to, to record this episode and talk about the unexpected... Is it shit, Is it unexpected guest or unexpected visitor? The, un- the tale of the unexpected visitor. Yeah, I've already forgotten. I guess I am an I am an unexpected well I am an expected visitor here. Not for the listeners at home. Yeah. Unexpected this, visitor to you, yeah. This is we timed this well. Yeah, this is thematically appropriate. <laughs> so yeah, congratulations, John, on being the first male uh, special guest host. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the first wait, the first did you say male? Yeah. We have to specify because my wife did cover for Dykus in one episode. Oh, okay. Guest host. Okay, because I was I was gonna say, I thought DJ and Jose were male, but they were I guess just guests. Um, interviewees. Yeah, they were just guests, I guess. Oh, okay, they were guests. I'm a- I count the interviews as as separate entities. Yeah, like that's a okay. different part of so the brand. They are male. I, I am male as well. Yeah, they are male. You you're also you fall into the male category with them, and also the author category with them. My wife is is very separate from the other three of you because she's not a published author and is the only female. Is she an author, though? Or is she a writer? I mean, she'll get mad at me for saying she's not a published author because she does, like, a lot of marketing stuff, <laughs> but it's not like you can buy it on Amazon. She's a blogger. That's true. She is a blogger. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. And I cannot wait to talk about the tale of the unexpected guest, I mean visitor, does this title sound too similar to the uh, the ghostly guest, the the tribute film that's coming up? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I feel like I'm gonna mix oh. that up. I'm gonna mix up that and this as we continue to talk about the tribute film in in the uh, lead up to its release. I'm I'm going to accidentally call it the unexpected guest or the ghostly visitor. They're, they're too they're both too generic. It's a pretty generic. Yeah, it's a really generic title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't even recognize it when you guys. Suggested it. That could apply to almost any episode of this show. Yeah, th- th- this is the this this is the alt title for uh, the tale of the Manaha as well. <laughs> well, I I actually have a different, I mean, a really different experience from you guys. I think because I mean, being being thirty four and like super old, I actually, I mean, I caught most of the the initial episodes. I watched most of them new, like back in nineteen ninety two, ninety three. Yeah, how old would you have been when the show first premiered in 92? Yeah, I was like 10. Okay. Uh, you were the prime age for this. I yeah. Was, it was made for me. I mean, no, I, I watched it religiously. I was an obsessive fan. And uh, the, the funny thing is, actually, uh, this is the one episode, I think, out of, I think most of the ones that you've covered so far that I actually haven't seen. Oh, my gosh. So it's kind of funny how that worked out. So, um, yeah. I definitely have no memory of this episode, but something that I found is I had memories of the very early episodes and then the uh, the new batch of Midnight Society members, the sort of second run of the show. Um, but a lot of the middle stuff I don't remember as well, and I actually think that's because I started watching it maybe around the same time you did when it was brand new, and I was probably too young for it, and it probably scared me enough that I quit watching so I didn't see a lot of season four and five. Um, so I have no memory of this episode. I have one very strong memory of this episode that we're going to get to in a few minutes. Just you wait. With um, the, the first year, going back to the, the seasons and stuff, I actually, yeah, like I said, I watched it really religiously all the way through those like first like four or five seasons. And then, like me, I was too old, I think, to get into those ones that came out yeah. in 99 or whatever. So uh, that's not canon to me. I'm excited to finally start reviewing them. I'm eager to see how, how what Are You Afraid of the Dark looks like in the late 90s. Uh, so before we dive into this episode, should we talk about any nude business? Well, I 
could not find a whole lot of nude business to share. The only thing I was able to find, even tangentially related to Nickelodeon, was a headline on Business Insider that says YouTube is making a play for Nickelodeon's lunch money. Uh, I read that article, actually. Which just talks about how Mattel is starting to spend a lot more advertising for advertising on YouTube rather than like traditional networks. It's it's interesting, but not really, not the kind. Of, it's not really in our wheelhouse. No, I the when I did read it, the one thing I thought about was, uh, you know, here we are, thirty years old, and being nostalgic for the first kids network, and the kids who are the age we were when Are You Afraid of the Dark came out. That this is going to be what they talk about when they're age. They're going to talk about the early YouTube phenomenons or phenomena. I knew you couldn't resist. God damn it! <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not. I wouldn't call it particularly interesting Nick news. And unfortunately, the thing I have doesn't really qualify as interesting Nick news either. Even though it is more interesting than that article. All right, what do you have? Bug juice is coming back. What? Yep. The show? <laughs> no, or, the, or the juice. <laughs> oh, yeah. wait, I saw that. Yeah, bug juice. I saw something. Yeah, Camp Waziata is going to be home to Disney's bug juice uh, summer camp reality TV show once again. It's going to be coming back in early 2018. Wow. <laughs> They're just bringing back everything at this point. Never did I imagine that bug juice would ever get, like, a, a what I assume will be a gritty reboot for the the new millennium what's funny is literally this week i was thinking about bug juice and i was because i I run summer camps so i was thinking about bug juice and i was thinking about how easy it would be to bring that show back because oh yeah like there weren't even like characters didn't necessarily recur from season to season so like this is it's no stakes no effort easy thing to do they just flip a switch and bug juice is back on and lo and behold they're doing it I'm genuinely sort of excited about that. Maybe we'll review it as a bonus episode. Is that like a Salute Your Shorts kind of show? It was a reality show about kids at summer camp. So it was done in the style of like an MTV reality show where, I mean, it was like Survivor and all of those. So they would detail these kids. These poor, incredibly awkward, like middle school kids. It's in the format of, like, The Bachelor or something, where they just, like, have cameramen following following these people around and detailing their lives, only their lives are 14-year-olds at summer camp sneaking in candy and having crushes. I don't even remember watching it as a kid, but I do have vivid memories of watching it in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made you watch it with, with me on YouTube when we were probably 22 years... Yeah, we were 22. We were just turning 22 years old, and I made you watch yeah. Bug Juice with me. That was the summer we also watched uh, Nemo's Adventure in Slumberland. That was when I was going through a weird nostalgic kick. <laughs> that was a very weird summer. <laughs> I think that was also the summer I watched The Calamari Wrestler. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Good times. Throwing out things that I, I have no... I actually do know the Nemo reference, but all this other stuff, this is just... Yeah. I'm sorry. Thing that I can't, I can't relate. It wasn't our intention to alienate you. I'm sorry. I feel really old. I'm gonna go have a hard candy right now. <laughs> right now. Well, in in the in the mid 2000s, uh, you know, we were really into Homestar Runner, and so we just thought that like dealing in old pop culture references was social currency. So we just liked following weird, obscure nostalgia and stuff which has probably led yeah. us to be the people we are today, I guess. It's a bad drug, but it, it's made me excited about the, the Bug Juice re- reboot. I mean, I would it's better than the present. But yeah, so we'll see what the uh, what the Bug Juice reboot looks like when that comes out next. Uh, will we still be doing this show when that comes out? By my estimate, we have about six months left of this. Well, no, I think we have a year left. Okay, we'll still be in here uh, doing Are You Afraid of the Dark, or we'll be in what I'm in my mind, calling the Erie, Indiana uh, oh. era. <laughs> right on. Which Dykus refuses to talk about or acknowledge. Yep, you're on your own there. Have fun. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I was wondering how you got, what you guys were planning on doing after that. Cause, I mean, yeah, just, you can do goosebumps. Uh, no! <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think so. After we dipped our toes in that water a couple of times, I think we decided yeah. that was not where we were going to go. 
It's, yeah, it's fun to try and find the re- like the stuff that holds up in Are You Afraid of the Dark. Nothing holds up in Goosebumps. No, no not at all. I watched that one with the, uh, what was it, uh, Jericho Walks at Midnight. Yeah. Oh. The one that you guys did. Oh, my yeah. God. That was really, really bad. Yeah. But tonight's episode uh, of Are You Afraid of the Dark, I think, does have some artistic merit. I have some really strong feelings about this one that I want to discuss. So we really? Should, yeah, so we should jump right into it. All right. The Tale of the Unexpected Visitor, which originally aired on January 20th, 1996. It was directed by Jacques Leberge. Yeah, a newcomer. Uh, and another person... What is it with, like, us not being able to say the names of the, the Jacques on this show? And this was the 61st episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The ninth episode of this season. Yep. We are nearing the end of season five. This is the second episode written by Alan Kinsberg, who wrote the tale of prisoner of the prisoner's past, or prisoner's past, or whatever. Which we liked well enough, right? Oh yeah, I think that okay. was a good one. Uh, but yeah, this is Alan Kingsburg's uh, second episode on the show, and I liked his first one. So uh, let's let's jump right into this one. Let's jump right in. We start off with Kiki asleep in the storyteller's chair. And everyone wants to know what the deal is. That's a fair thing to ask, right? Like, why the fuck would a person fall asleep in the storyteller's chair? Of course, the two, the, our two usual bastards try to uh, make some mischief by putting her hand in warm water. Uh, they have a, a sick delight in this scheme of theirs. I've never understood anyone taking pleasure in the whole hand in warm water prank. Has that ever happened to you, or have you ever done no. it to anyone else? Like, I only know of it through television, but... I know, of it. I know of people trying to do it at parties and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, I've seen... I've, I've witnessed people doing this to sleeping people. Did the oh, people, no. Did they pee themselves? Did it work? They did not pee themselves, no. Usually they, they just, like, woke up because they sucked it in water. <laughs> yeah, in my experience, like, it's hard to get someone's hand into water without just spilling the water over or waking them up. And why would you want someone to pee all over themselves while sleeping? Then you just have a sleeping person there who smells like pee. Especially the storyteller, right? Like, yeah. if Kiki pisses herself, she's not going to wake up and tell a ghost story. She's going like, to say, fuck you, and go home. <laughs> oh, shit, I pissed myself. Good thing this gave me an idea for a story. Yeah, what a coincidence. <laughs> the tale of the pee pants ghost. <laughs> and it's just, a, it's, just, it's just a person with a sheet over them, but there's a yellow stain on it. Eli, that's really gross. This is so dumb. I'm sorry. Um, so we're roughly three seconds into the episode at this point. Yeah. So uh, Gary recognizes that this is a terrible idea and thankfully stops the two little fucks from uh, executing their plan. Kiki wakes up and explains to everyone that she hasn't gotten any sleep for three days because her aunt is staying with her family and she is a very loud snorer. This is the only time that a member of the Midnight Society has been um, early to their storytelling. Like, this is one of the few times that the storyteller is the first person there. Yeah, I think this might be the first time in the series. And Kiki has a better excuse than anyone for being late. Like, if she hasn't slept for three days, it's fucking amazing that she's sitting on that throne at all. And that she's going <laughs> to tell a story as amazing as this one. Yeah. Yeah. She says that, of course, this this uh, visit from her aunt gave her an idea for a story. Tucker cracks wise about this. And we kick off the tale of the unexpected visitor. And we immediately meet our two young protagonists. Well, we immediately get some sweet guitar riffs. Yeah, we open with uh, this kick-ass guitar lick. It's an alright riff. What does uh what does the kid call this after he plays it? Whoa, eclectic riff. That whoa, eclectic riff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh this I don't know how a riff can be eclectic. It doesn't it, it doesn't I don't doesn't think that word eclectic there needs to be a group of things or something. That word does not mean what he thinks it means. No, but <laughs> just looking at this kid, I'm going to forgive him for not having the uh strongest use of vocabulary. He is a 90s combination of Bill and Ted dressed, <laughs> dressed in his best, uh, like, Nirvana cosplay. Yeah. We meet our two young protagonists. The guy that we're referring to playing this eclectic riff, uh, our grungy hero, is named Perch, which is not a real name. Isn't that a fish? No, a perch is something that you perch on. It's also a fish. Fuck you, I'm also Googling this. You know, and actually, that made me think about things. Have you guys ever seen uh, the 
the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer? No. Well, there's actually so Luke Perry plays this guy with like flannel who's all grungy, and his name is Puck. And isn't that like? And they say, oh, this sounds like a fish in it. And I just thought that could be that could be a reason, deliberate like, reference. Is there something with early '90s guys being named after fish? That was just <laughs> in my own head. I don't know. I, now I'm googling that head. too. <laughs> But I don't know if you guys, did you guys look up this guy's um, IMDb? No, is he known for anything else? Well, his last credit, his last credit was Beaten Suspect in 2003's A Guy Thing. <laughs> Wait, so he's what? Just, he's just a guy who got beat up? Yeah, he, he was a beaten suspect. <laughs> well, at least he went out on a high note. What, yeah. an, what an eclectic riff. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we meet Perch, and what's our uptight nerdy asshole's name jeff man like perch is supposed to be the cool one here but i immediately related to jeff way too much and it made me sad i don't think perch is supposed to be the cool one perch is clearly an idiot (laughs) he is an idiot yes like jeff is the the hero of the day the two of them are uh best friends according to kiki which is surprising because they look like they should hate each other based on like 90s stereotypes uh jeff looks like a nerd perch again looks like he's going to a nirvana concert but they are both musicians and they've decided to start a band together and uh perch plays sweet guitar licks and uh jeff plays soothing electronic keyboard melodies play it like this that's cool so jeff actually uh, he played. He was in another episode. Actually, I rec- I was like, "Who is that guy? I recognize him. Was he was he from some other movie when I was a kid or something?" He actually, he played uh, in the the Tale of the Water Demons. He was Dean. Cough up sixty five cents. Great episode. He's always stuck with like the the long haired flannel with no sleeves kind of butthead characters. Air do wells. Uh, so the two of them are rehearsing their music while they're babysitting Jeff's little brother. And they get bored and decide that they're going to sneak into Jeff's dad's incredibly awesome computer room. Like, the control center from Jurassic Park that I guess they have in their basement. Yeah, we're told that Jeff's dad works on some sort of top-secret project involving computers and deep space communication. Yeah, they say he can connect to any satellite he wants to, and the boys have decided they're going to use this ability to watch a pay-per-view illegally? Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) All right. Stop everything. I'm going to make the biggest random observation of crap in the foreground ever. For years, for years, I knew there was a show on Nickelodeon that made a joke about an event called World War IV. You've told me about this. And as a kid, I thought that was the funniest joke ever. Because what, like, what happened to World War Three? World War Four is an I, event I, so extreme they had to skip the third one. Like, yeah, it's. I don't. I don't know why I latched onto that as a kid, but like, I thought it was hilarious. As an adult, I tried to figure out what it was from. I googled it in every sort of like combination of words possible. It never turned up. I was convinced by the time I was in my late twenties that I just imagined it. Lo and fucking behold. Jeff pulls out the poster for World War IV. World War IV? Battle of the Century! I had assumed that World War IV was a concert or a band or something. No, 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 no! It is a professional wrestling (laughs) pay-per-view! And that's what these two music nerds are going to hack into, like, the International Space Station to bounce the frequencies off of. They're going to illegally bootleg a wrestling pay-per-view event called World War IV. With apparently featuring Scott Hall and Brett the Hitman Hard because they're just right fucking there. Oh, are they? Razor Ramon was on there. Yeah. I couldn't see the poster that well when I was watching it. You have to, it's only up for a second, but yeah, it's it's Scott Hall as, as Razor Ramon. This was pre-NWO and Bret Hart, who's just labeled Hitman. Two words. <laughs> I couldn't believe that they had real wrestlers on there. I, I like, know! Pay for the rights for that? Is that like stock art? I don't know if they had like... Yeah, they were just like, like fuck yeah. it, no, we're going to get away with this. I actually remember um, 
I don't remember why I was watching this, but I was watching some some YouTube video or something about prop making for films, and they were interviewing a guy who worked on the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, and he talked about, and then he worked on the Hobbit trilogy. And so he was talking about the difference, the jump in time that happened there, and he said that when he worked on the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, any detail on a costume or on a prop, any detail that was smaller than a quarter, you didn't have to do it because no one would be able to see it. Like, the, the video quality was not high enough, but details smaller than a quarter mattered, so you didn't have to focus on them. And then by the time the new Hobbit trilogy came out, those rules were out the window, and every detail, as small as you could make it, mattered because of, of how, quali- how, how high quality the video was. So I have to assume that they just, when they were filming this episode, said, fuck it, we could use these guys because there are no stock photos of wrestlers, and no one's going to be able to see this. Like, they had to assume no one was going to see this when they made this episode, because it was going to be blasted out on old CRT TVs. Yeah, you're probably right. And the shot is only up for, like, less than a second. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this whole World War Four thing is a reference to WCW had a pay-per-view called World War Three. Yep. Which was a terrible idea. It was a show that had 60 wrestlers in three different rings at the same time. Man, you shit on WCW so much. That's a fucking... I loved WCW back in the day. That's a fucking great idea. More wrestlers is better, Dykus. It's solid math. But here we are with World War Four with Bret Hart and Razor Ramon. I guess they're going to fight with stones and sticks. Yeah, yeah, that's how World War Four is. Which is also not surprising for wrestling. Foreign objects. <laughs> yeah, I actually like to see that. <laughs> I don't know what weapons... World War Three will be fought with, but World War Four will be fought in the square circle. I don't know how many rings World War Three will be fought with, but World War Four <laughs> will probably be fought with four. So the guys use uh, the dad's supercomputer terminal here, which I am even now still jealous of. They're using it to hack into this wrestling pay-per-view, and Perch is taking this time to spy through Jeff's dad's secret documents. Yeah, he comes across something, a file called the Peabody Project. He brings it up to Jeff. Jeff says it's confidential. We're not supposed to know anything about that. And then Jeff's little brother starts bugging them. I thought for a minute that we were going to get, like, a butthead little sibling. uh, Kind of like what we had in Laughing in the Dark. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if I'd go so far as to call him a shit like the kid from The Chameleons, but this nine-year-old kid comes in and decides he's going to blackmail his brother. With a banana split. With a banana split. With a banana split. That's what it's going to cost to keep his mouth shut and not tell their parents. Like, your brother has just broken into top secret documents in the basement you're not allowed to go into. You lack imagination, child. (laughs) Yeah, you could ring this guy for everything he's got. What I thought was funny with these computers, I mean, you're, you're saying, like, this looks awesome, this computer setup? Like, I mean, this looks like something I would use to play, like, Wolfenstein 3D with. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, well, I guess that is pretty <laughs> I you, you don't know me, but I have a shit ton of, like, old computer hardware just piled around me right now. I'm in, a, I'm in like, an anime-looking situation where I'm in a dark room with just multiple towers stacked up around me as a uh, wish fulfillment from my childhood. My wife yeah, is very yes. annoyed by it. So Jeff leaves to go make this ransom banana split, leaving Lurch uh, to his own devices in the computer room. <laughs> <laughs> so Perch decides that he's going to open up this file about the Peabody project and he's reading about how Jeff's dad is involved in deep space communication stuff and apparently all you have to do is go into the computer's terminal and type the word Peabody into the F drive and you'll Yeah, an uncrackable password. <laughs> yeah. The name of the project on the main drive of the computer and it'll spin a satellite in their yard, and you'll get to talk to aliens. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Perch just, he looks away from the computer and inputs some random numbers into the coordinates. And when it asks for a message to blast out, he hits, he plays the a simplified version of the song they were playing in the room. It, has, it sort, sounded to me almost like the X-Files theme. Like yes, the exactly. Yeah. yeah. It does. Yeah, it goes off. Yeah, they missed a a golden opportunity by not like getting as close to that as they could without getting sued. Do we ever establish why the fuck there's a synthesizer in his dad's like SETI communication room? 
Nope. It reminds me of when on The Critic, they uh, they watched a clip from the movie Arthur 2. And Arthur is like, oh, look, a piano. And he's in a doctor's uh, yeah. office. And he just turns and there's a piano there. Like, I couldn't figure out why this keyboard is, I guess... I guess that's also what the dad is doing, is just sending out music notes into space, which I I guess is maybe a real thing that, like, deep space weirdos do. I don't know. Well, it's also, like, a reference to, like, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? Oh, yeah! The yeah. whole idea of playing, like, a series of musical notes and making contact with aliens. See, I don't I... know if that's, like, a super too, too dated of a reference, but... No, well... You know, you you and I were talking. Well, you were ta- we were talking before the recording about um, Midsummer Scream, and of course, Ron talks about how they deliberately put as many references to like classic horror and science fiction as they could into the show. So, of course, that's that that has to be what it is. I bet. Cool. I feel dumb for missing that now. What would compel Perch to do this? We we may never know, but he sends out this message, and somebody responds. Much to his surprise, Perch scrambles. He tries to shut down the entire computer. They narrowly avoid detection from Jeff's parents, who wander back into the house around that time. I have in my I have in my notes that Perch plays this song. The kids freak out, and then Bill and Melinda Gates come home and get. Oh my god! Are you them. serious? Are you serious right now? <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> I wrote Bill and Melinda Gates as well. <laughs> yeah, I need to send you. I'll send you a screenshot right now. I, I literally wrote that. No, no, we believe you. <laughs> There's, it's an uncanny, like just like they were ripping off X Files. This episode is just rife with like '90s, uh, like head nods because they yeah. definitely tried to make this dad look like it's like oh a guy who works with computers. Well, there's only one person who does that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the parents come home and they get mad at the boys for feeding Jeff's younger brother ice cream. Do we even know Jeff's brother's name? Yeah, they mentioned it once, but I I didn't take a note of it. The dog's name is Montana, which I wondered if that yeah. was a reference to Joe Montana, because the dog is always holding a football in his mouth. I couldn't figure out, like, why that... Maybe that was just me. That night, Montana, the dog, hears a loud noise from outside as a light flies through the sky past the window. Dog runs out, but is captured by first-person monster cam, which drops a weird glowy spider web on top of it. Uh, this is like the third episode in a row where we've gotten first-person monster cam, right? I don't know if we just never noticed it before, but yeah, it's it's unavoidable in these season five episodes. I genuinely think that they've just gotten like a better budget, and so they have cheaper, like lighter weight cameras that are that are easier to move around. So we're getting got a more steady cam, cam now. Yeah, yeah, I think they got this, a steady cam, and so we're getting more Jaws footage. I also think this is another Spielberg reference that just made me completely reminded me of ET first person shot from the ground sort of thing yeah yeah maybe you know i said that ron mentions uh or makes a lot of horror references maybe maybe jake jacques is just making a lot of spielberg references here it's totally possible so this is a fairly you know creepy foreboding scene you know there's a dog in danger here oh no the spider is pretty cool right yeah yeah it's done it's a pretty good special effect they have, in post-production, made it all glowy. I was actually really tired the first time I watched this episode, and when this scene was happening, like, I was tired enough to take it seriously, and as I'm watching it, I remember thinking to myself, they better not fucking hurt that dog. And then, like, as I thought that, another voice in my brain was like, you're watching Are You Afraid of the Dark, you idiot? The dog is going to be <laughs> perfectly fine. But I was like, there was this imperative in my heart, like, oh, I don't want to watch them hurt a dog in this episode. We cut from this very suspenseful scene to Jeff and Perch going for a walk the next day as Jeff suggests, we should write a love song. <laughs> we should write a love song. Yeah, the tonal shift uh. there I made note of. Uh, but Jeff and Perch are talking about how their lives suck. They have no inspiration to, to write music about because they've apparently Perch has never even left the town that they live in. Yeah, I love that the Perch is like, we can't write a love song. You've never been in love. I want to write about going out on the road and exploring the world. <laughs> to which Jeff just says, you've never left this town. Are they under the fucking dome? How could he have never left the town? Oh my god, I can't believe you said that. That is what I want to talk about about this episode, but we'll get to that later. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> because yes, they definitely are. We've, we've hit upon in this moment the thing that uh, DJ talked about in our interview with him where you always have, like, what's the monster, what's the paranormal, supernatural conflict of the episode? But he always wants to know, what's the story about the kids? Um, You know, he said when we were talking to him that other writers be like, oh, I have this great idea for this monster, and it does these things, that he would always say, yeah, but tell me about the people, tell me about the kids. 
he always wanted to have some sort of conflict that the kids had in their own lives that had to be resolved. And so that's what we're dealing with here is these two young musicians who are struggling to make art because they've not experienced enough life yet and they don't have anything to write about. And so like all at once that has just been dropped really heavy into our laps as though this episode was written without it. And DJ gave the note, nope, give the kids some sort of like emotional conflict as well. And so they, they put this scene in here just to very, very clearly define what that would be. Yeah. That night, our two young protagonists go out looking for the missing dog while uh, Jeff's parents are gone. To keep the little moppet occupied, rather than just keep him in the house, for some reason they have him stay outside and play t-ball. By himself. By himself! The funniest thing ever. Yeah. I just can't imagine, I don't know, I just can't imagine anybody getting joy out of playing t-ball. Well, like, the... The funniest part is, like, a few seconds later, Jeff and Perch go into the woods looking for the dog. We cut back to the little kid who who knocks the ball off the tee deep into the woods and goes, Home run! Yes! Home run! Yes! Like, first of all, that's not an accomplishment. You hit it off a tee. (laughs) Alone! And second, what are you so happy about? Now you've got to go into the woods and get your ball back. Like, there is no world in which if I tried to follow my older brother into the woods at night and he told me just to stay in the yard alone, that would have happened, right? Like, I would have gone into the house and locked the door because I was scared, or I would have said, fuck you, and followed him into the woods. But there's no world where I just sit in the yard and play t-ball alone. I also wish that we could have seen, like... A shot of the neighbors peeking through their blinds, like, what the hell is that kid doing? (laughs) Abna, come look! The boy's playing t-ball by himself! (laughs) (laughs) Like, someone, I wish someone would have called out how stupid this was. While he's out in the woods trying to retrieve his t-ball, do you call it a t-ball? Uh, when you're, it's not a baseball at that point, right? I don't know. Well, he's just a ball, because you have the t, and then you have the ball. Yeah. I think t-ball is just the name of the sport. Yeah, it's not... Hmm, I don't know. Would you call a, the ball and kickball a kickball or just the ball? Yeah, yeah you call it a kickball. I guess you could call it a t-ball then because you call football football. This is definitely what our listeners came here for too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he goes into the woods to find this this ball and one of those freaky ass spider webs pops up behind him. And once again, I really liked it. Yeah, we get a big scream take as this kid is abducted by the first person monster. No! Hit the commercial. They're unstoppable! But we've got to give it our best shot! Thunder the Marines! We're the Space Marines! Drake, Ripley, Apone, Bishop, and I'm Hicks. Armed with the latest high-tech heavy metal. Queen alien breathing down your back? I blast her with the bug rocker. Button heads with a bull alien? Ripley frags him with the turbo torch. Alien invasion problem? Send in the Marines! Space Marine figures and alien figures each sold separately. When we come back, our heroes are still wandering throughout the woods. They're calling out for the dog. And something calls back to them, just echoing them. Montana? Montana? Who's there? Who's there? That's not funny, man. That's not funny, man. Rather than realizing this is something otherworldly he just gets really annoyed and tells them to stop it this kid is uh, you back can you guys back up just just for a minute yeah um i don't know if you um the part where they were both singing lyrics like writing lyrics to a song oh yeah you want to talk about that oh no the worst song ever yeah they're trying to come up with songs based on the experiences that they have actually had and it's just embarrassing can't write music because our lives are so dull exactly i used spaghetti three nights in a row i slept at study hall today da, da, da. my mom made me breakfast i ate and went to school i feel like they had to know that that was stupid i read that as like they're kind of making fun of themselves not like they are in earnest trying to turn these things into songs but maybe no I, you're right you're right. It's it's self-deprecating, but it's still really bad. Yeah. I I can't imagine being a teenager recording this scene and not being embarrassed. Speaking of adults embarrassing kids. It's, Jeff was it's, like, my mom made me breakfast. I ate it and went to school. Yeah. 
And then Perch, I don't know if this is correct or not, but what I got was Perch says, we're lost in a dweeb-like comfort zone wasteland. We're lost, Sherman. Lost in a dweeb-like comfort zone wasteland. <laughs> He's doing a Beck style, just like freeform word association yeah, yeah, 90s song. Sort of what it's like. He's yeah, super he, into he, Beck, uh, I bet. He predated Beck, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So they sing their song, they shout at these echoes for a little while, they come across the giant glowy spider webs. Which is not uh, enough to get them to turn around for some fucking reason. No, for for two kids who have never experienced the outside world, they are just not at all phased by this alien technology. Yeah, they got some brass cojones. They just walk past this spider web like, oh yeah, that's just a thing that happens in the <laughs> woods by Jeff's house. Whoa, Sherman, you got some serious spiders here. But they keep going, and the next artifact that they find that is clearly not of this earth uh, is a big freestanding door right in the middle of the woods. Yeah, they walk up to this giant door that at first I thought was a part of a spaceship, and I just wasn't seeing the spaceship. But yeah. yeah. But no, it's just like a, a box. Uh, it's it's like the monolith in 2001, except there's a door in the middle of it. Yeah, and they, kinda walk, they walk around it. And they manage to open the door, they throw a stick inside, or no, they throw the little toy football inside, and something throws it back at them. Then they poke a that stick at it, That light, actually, right? that he presses on the side, you know those lights that you, that you can buy, then, like, put them, like, in a, like, I guess you can put them in any way, in a hallway, anywhere, you, like, just stick them to the wall. Yeah, like a tap they, light. Like, yeah. Be a good, yeah, that's kind of what it looked like. It looked like just, like, a tap light. Yeah. I think it's, it's not the best production value, because that's immediately what I thought of as well as, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I liked the the design of this door. Like it's it's for Are You Afraid of the Dark? By its standards, it's a kind of a neat practical effect. Like someone actually built this. The door is cool, and it's cool for a couple of reasons. Like we said, the fact that you don't see the ship, it's just the door by itself, is weird. And the fact that it's it looks like it's made of stone almost also makes it interesting. Because yeah. when you think of aliens, like the fact that they're playing with materials that you wouldn't think of for a spaceship is is cool. The door itself is segmented, like it pulls down into itself rather than lifting up. So there's a lot of sort of just slightly off-kilter things about this design that actually do make it interesting. And then it has a tap light on it. But yeah, they throw the dog toy in, it's thrown back. They decide that's enough paranormal shit for now, and they go back to check on the younger brother. Lo and behold, he's gone, they go look for him in the house. Somehow, the giant supercomputer has turned itself on. Jeff goes to check, and he finds a series of incoming messages from something that's been approaching Earth, and it's been broadcasting a weird, like, atonal four-note melody over and over again. What's that mean? So, as this is happening, Perch searches the house, he gets trapped in one of the giant glowy webs inside the house, while at the same time Jeff gets another incoming transmission, and holy shit, it's another alien, and it's almost here. After Perch gets caught inside of the uh, the web, and Jeff realizes that another alien is coming, he, for some reason, just gets up the nerve to run out and confront this thing. I don't know why, if it was scary before, I don't know why two aliens is is not going to scare you more. Like, I wouldn't go outside. But he runs out to this thing and, and decides he's going to head inside. Well, he realizes that it's they've captured everyone else in the house uh we get a really protracted sequence of him testing the waters of this door and then he just throws himself in i kind of liked the design of this alien ship we get yet another are you afraid of the dark uh alien interior this is a circular room with i think like just light tubes for like fluorescent bulbs yeah lining the walls perch and bobby and montana are all trapped inside of some sort of weird like crystal force field things that that Jeff can't break with his stick. <laughs> he didn't plan for anything so strong that he couldn't break through it with a stick. Who does? But Perch is inside one of these tubes. Perch is clearly dying. <laughs> he tells... How does he know what he knows at this point? He, There's no possible way he can know what he knows. Yeah. Perch tells Jeff that it's all controlled by sound, and the pods will open if he plays a D-sharp. How he knows this is never revealed. Did, well, did he... Were there perhaps aliens that, like, came inside and, like, put them in these tubes and he witnessed them accessing some kind of technology by 
playing a D sharp. There must be, those, yeah, there must be something like that. I mean, I, I'm the one that called it out in the first place, so obviously I, I have a bone to pick with it as well. But for some reason, Perch knows that if you play a D sharp, the pod will open. So Jeff runs back inside, gets his boombox, records a D sharp off of the keyboard, and uh, runs back and sets his brother and his best friend and his dog free. Yeah, they all run out of the spaceship, but they come out and they're surrounded by the giant spider webs. Oh no! And just when it looks like all hope is lost, shit gets real. It goes crazy. Two beings of pure energy appear in the forest. The spider webs vanish, and our heroes are confronted by these two bright yellow aliens who are just made of light. Like Star Trek style. Yeah, they yeah. beam down. Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that exact effect. Which is funny because they're using that Star Trek effect, but they're not using it on humans. These are just like, were these CG? I, I wondered how these were made. I have no idea how these things were made. It looks like there must have been some sort of human like motion capture or something. Or like they manipulated an image. Yeah, it might just I, be I, like I, um, an alien mask on some sort of puppet body or something. But it's, it's actually a pretty cool looking effect. It really is. These two aliens show up and they start speaking in different languages. Your language is English. Yeah. And that's when we get our exposition dump. The larger of the two aliens explains that the other one is her son. The son heard the random four-note melody that Perch broadcast into space, and it turns out not only did it reach, did it happen to reach these aliens, but that sequence of notes translates to the phrase, we are toys, in their language. So this little kid alien got a message from across space saying, hey, we're toys. The response that the kid sends back is, I want to play. And so the kid has come to Earth to play with these uh, supposed toys. The mother very politely asks them not to be, not to think any less of her kid, and they just teleport back into their spaceships and leave. I'm impressed by how they managed to make an alien story where the aliens are both terrifying and benevolent. Yeah, I I loved this final scene with the mother alien. I think this was fantastic. So the aliens leave. And the boys go back home, and we cut to Jeff and Perch uh, playing a song together, and they finally found some inspiration. Let's not gloss over the the details of this song here. They're playing the worst song ever. They are loving the shit out of it. Like, they clearly should not be collaborating. Their their musical styles are just, they they don't mix. <laughs> it's like, you guys know the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, well, you know how, I guess, their music saves the world in the end? Yeah. Or, like, the civilization's based off of them? This is, like, the exact opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> they caused a war. They caused the aliens' planet to blow up. The aliens come back and they're like, oh, fuck this. It's the Independence Day aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, and I think uh, Kiki in her, uh, I think in, in her narr- narration says the guys didn't get in trouble because the dad was so happy the Peabody Project worked. Yeah. So, so the dad knows they contacted aliens. Yes. Okay. And and there are no ramifications for that. He's just like, yeah. oh, that's cool. You boys continue with your music. Kiki definitely needs to workshop that ending, but no one else seems to think so. Everyone uh, applauds her efforts. Yeah, we get a great ending here with the Midnight Society as one by one the the members leave and Kiki asks each one of them if she can come and stay at their house. Sam says no, Betty says no, Gary and Tucker say no, which leaves her with the one remaining member of the Midnight Society. She turns to Stig, who's just looking at her with a creepy knowing smile. (laughs) What's the name of the song from Ferris Bueller's? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, cue that. <laughs> I love the relationship that's developing between Kiki and Stig. Kiki and Stig are the new are the new Frank and Eric. Are you shipping yeah. them? Are you shipping Kiki and Stig? I'm totally shipping Kiki and Stig. I can get on board with that. And then we get our rock and awesome theme song. 
Rock an awesome theme song. John, now you say it. Oh, rock an awesome theme song. Oh, yeah. So that's the tale of the unexpected visitor. Yeah, I got it right. That's the tale of the unexpected visitor. Yes, it is. Uh, let's let's uh, start with you, John. What did you think of this? Okay, so I mean, with, with a lot of these episodes, um, because I, I saw all of them growing up, I have this. Uh, I mean, a lot of them are. I have like nostalgia for sure. growing up and seeing them and being afraid of them when I was little, and loving them when I was little. And this one was this one was weird, like I said, because I haven't. I, I just I, just, I hadn't seen it. I don't remember a single second of the episode. So I didn't have the whole nostalgia sort of to hold things up for me when things maybe weren't too too great. But I don't know. I actually was pleasantly surprised by this episode. Um, I thought it was pretty um, I think original in terms of uh, the actual. I mean, I mean, we don't get a lot of alien episodes in the series, and um, I don't know. I thought the music concept was cool. The spider webs, the effects were cool. The character, the acting. Um, Perch was a terrible, terrible <laughs> Yes. And, um, Agreed. Uh, but overall, I don't know. Um, do you want me to give a yay or nay on it, or just a... No, well, we'll, we'll ask the question in, well, in just a question. second. You ask the question. But yeah, well, over, but, um, but overall, I think it was a, it was an alright episode. I'm not like in love with it, but... Um, yeah, this is not... I would, I would recommend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. Is this the first alien episode that we've gotten on this show where the aliens weren't just humans and the the idea is that they are disguised as humans? Like, have we ever had an episode where the aliens are just straight up, like, fucking aliens? Well, the tourists in uh, The Tale of the Closet Keepers, the, the awesome gas mask family. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, yeah, yeah, those are aliens. And I guess in... Uh, 13th floor they take the girl takes off her mask at the end and we see we do see the aliens there but this is i don't know the aliens felt much more alien in this episode than they have in previous episodes they don't speak in any i mean until the very end they don't speak english um they're not like disguising themselves as people in any way whatsoever so this feels a lot more like a traditional sci-fi i mean you know you referenced um Close Encounters and E.T., this definitely feels more like those than any of the other Alien episodes that we've gotten, and I think that's a really interesting thing about it. What did I... you guys think of the actual... Um, I mean, because it wasn't like a horror episode and you didn't even really... You didn't see the aliens until the very end of the episode. What did you guys think of that? I think that's the only way you could have made this episode even remotely scary. Um, if you're a kid who's scared of the idea of aliens, and the plot of this episode ends with the aliens were nice, they were a mother and child... I think the only way you can have any scary moments in it is by withholding the aliens for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I guess there was no other way to do it than that. And also, like, we talked a lot about the effects here. I think that they were probably pretty limited in the ways that they could show those aliens if they wanted them to look like they did. Like, I bet it wouldn't have been easy to have them in a lot of scenes or have them moving around a whole bunch. So it, it seems like a practical choice, but also... I, Artistically, it doesn't seem like a bad one to sort of jaws it and not show the monster very much. It's such a distinct, like, eye-catching visual effect. Like, I can understand why they want to save it for the end. Like, if we had seen them, if we'd gotten a glimpse of them, like, at the halfway point and then come back to them at the end, like, it wouldn't have had the same impact. But when you finally see them and they're rendered in this, you know, whatever whatever method they used to to do the aliens, uh, I'm I'm actually glad they made us wait for it. Which is funny because structurally that's really similar to the tale of the fire ghost where you have an antagonist that you don't really see in its true form until the very end and don't really see for the first part of the episode at all. Uh, but the spectacular effect does not actually save it. It's it's like the the fire ghost is the Neville Longbottom to this episode's Harry Potter. Yeah. Can we talk about uh, Under the Dome? I don't want to spoil Under the Dome for anyone who has not read it. All right, listen. Hey, if... I haven't read it. Oh, we can't talk about Under the Dome. But you can. You can. I, I don't care. Uh, okay. <laughs> if Listen, if you don't want Under the Dome spoiled, uh, maybe skip and skip ahead a few minutes and, and and try to avoid this. But, like, this is the plot of Under the Dome, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, Under the Dome takes it in a much more extreme direction. 
But yeah, the same concept of like something weird is happening and it turns out it's an alien that's just toying with humans because it thinks that they're playthings. Like, oh, really? Under the yeah. Dome, I, I'm sorry, John, I'm just going to, I hope you don't mind, but I'm just going to, to spoil that book for you. Just which, spoil, just go crazy. And it. I will say, it's a good book. Um, the plot of Under the Dome is that a, a small town gets put under a glass dome, like a like a snow globe, and they're trapped inside yep. of this, this force field and they don't know why. And they have to figure out why before they run out of food and oxygen and everyone kills each other. It turns out it's just a, an alien child from across the universe who has, like, he's basically, like, watching our planet through his iPad or something. Uh, that's a really simplified version of it. But he's just, like, playing with humanity because he doesn't think that they are a sophisticated enough race to care about. And so he just basically, like, plucks up these people as toys and plays with them. And just like in this episode, it ends with the human sort of pleading with the this greater intelligence and letting them know, like, no, we are not toys. Please let us just live. And then they're like, oh, sorry, and leave. Did Stephen King rip off the unexpected visitor? Stephen King pulled a real M. Night Shyamalan. He actually pulled it, though, unlike M. Night Shyamalan. And he also ripped off the, Spring, uh, the Simpsons movie? Oh, no, yeah. The Simpsons movie ripped off Under the Dome. No. Or did it? Uh, what's the timeline there? Uh, Simpsons movie is 10 years old this month. Under the dome is less. Oh, oh well. Hmm. Yeah. By the way, let's talk on that. Talk about that for a second. Simpsons. Somebody ripped off someone here. The book is from two thousand nine. Simpsons movie is from two thousand seven. Okay. Looks like I'm looks wrong. like Matt Groening and Stephen King owe DJ McHale some money. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought that was like as I was watching this, that was kind of blowing my mind how similar those things are. And knowing the guys from Are You Afraid of the Dark, there's probably some other like precedent that they were referencing as well stephen king in 2008 had a major drug relapse watched the simpsons movie and then happened to flip over to this episode of are you afraid of the dark and got to work on his computer i'll do it uh good for him but that speaks to how much i like this episode actually that because i i think that under the dome is good too so enjoy both of those I liked this episode a lot more than The Tale of the Manaha. I'm not sure if it's actually a better episode, necessarily. I mean, I guess it is, but, like, I feel like this had... This was another episode where it's a bunch of kids just kind of running back and forth from point A to point B. But it had so much more, like, character to it. Yeah, I think that's the exact right word. Yeah, this this episode had a lot of character to it. It had the the really unique-looking aliens, the terrible song at the end, all of Perch's goofy, like, stonerisms that he says... World War Four, <laughs> Like, it has all of this stuff that sticks... You know, I remember World War Four for 20 fucking years, and, like, it speaks to how that kind of stuff sticks with you, and that that goes a long way towards uh, influencing my opinion of this episode. But good or bad, whether we liked it or not, whether or not Stephen King ripped it off or not, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is the question. So I'm going to ask you both. Uh, John, I'll start with you again. You scared of this? Not at all. Nope. Uh, Dykus, um, are you scared of this? I will echo John here. Not at all. Me neither. Not a scary episode. Like, uh, do you think they even intended for it to be a scary episode? I feel like they wanted to add, I mean, a little bit of those horror elements with the, yeah, with the first person kind of monster thing and the... I guess the webs could. Some people might think the webs are kind of scary, like spider web looking things. But uh, yeah, I think like you like you said, they're definitely going for more of like a straight sci-fi approach. Yeah, this feels more like an adventure that they added some horror flavor to than an actual horror. Yeah. Like uh, like maybe like an Indiana Jones type thing, where the point is not to be scary, but if some of the stuff that happens is scary along the way, that was fine. Yeah, good analogy. <laughs> so yeah that uh that wraps up the tale of the i almost said ghostly guest what the fuck the tale of the unexpected visitor so that means next week we will be talking about episode number 62 of are you afraid of the dark the tale of the vacant lot which is going to be directed by lorette leblanc and it's going to be a kiki story again back to back which means we get to check and see whether or not they reference the fact that she'll have told two stories in a row. 
And once again, we we have a title that doesn't sound at all scary. That's a good point. We should see if she is still tired. Like, we talked about how much better they are at continuity in these later seasons. So that's a that's a good point, whether or not Kiki will still be tired. <laughs> Kiki hasn't slept for 10 days. Or alternately, Kiki and Stig have gotten very close. <laughs> <laughs> If, if Kiki is really greasy in the next episode, but no one says anything about it, we all know. Oh. <laughs> oh, God, I didn't mean that they, like, that they boned down or anything. <laughs> yeah, what, what, are, what do you mean? I just meant a little, like, innocent teen snuggling, maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> if she has any stick socks. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, those socks. Um, no, whatever, they're, they're older teens. I'm not going to judge them for whatever they do or don't want to do with Stig. Until uh, then. Yeah, so tune in to find out all the salacious uh, details. Uh, until then, you can find us online all over the place. Facebook.com slash you scared of this. Twitter at you scared of this. You can listen to our back catalog at soundcloud.com slash you scared of this for as long as SoundCloud is around. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcast or Google Play, we encourage you to leave a review give us a nice rating we always appreciate that helps grow the show and we want to thank everybody for listening we especially want to thank john for joining us for the tale of the unexpected visitor yeah thank thank you guys for having me on it was Uh, was great having you john you should plug your book yes i'm going to plug my book now yeah so um so i I am actually an author of horror and fantasy and sci-fi sort of stories that are really a lot like are you afraid of the dark and actually a lot of our stories are people have compared a lot of our uh, myself my co-writer story to Are Your Favorite Dark we actually have a story in one of our books that like, deliberately out and out references um, Sardo from, nice uh, yeah so um, so if you like that kind of uh, these kind of stories like not super scary like they're not horror like gory or anything but like kind of creepy but kind of also fantasy and also yeah sometimes sci-fi here and there um that's the kind of stuff i write um so if you want if you're interested in following me i'm on twitter a lot i'm there my name is john burrell so it's j-o-h-n-b-r-h-e-l um and then my books are i write with a co-writer my my good friend joe sullivan so they're under john burrell and sullivan are, are all of our books um about four books now a few more coming out um and we all we really we released them all under the our uh our, we self-published them all under cemetery gates media so if you're interested in uh looking up our stuff uh john burrell and cemetery the most recent we one will... that you guys did was the uh the curiosity shop right yeah so uh, that was actually our second book um that one yeah that that's the one that's like straight up kind of like a, a magical shop yeah like first item uh, the last one, the last kind of horror one we did was called At the Cemetery Gates, and that was a collection of just kind of creepy Twilight Zone, urban legend-based uh, short stories. And then we put out another one in December, last December that was like a, sort of a, inspired by a Christmas Carol. Um, and that was like, a, that was more of a drama with some supernatural elements. And uh, in the fall, we're actually putting out another book, um, and it's going to be you guys are i'm sure you guys are familiar with scary stories we tell in the dark oh yes yes um, it's actually like very, very much inspired by those books and the story the storytelling and the art specifically the art the artist who uh did a few of our book covers already so far he, he does this style that i mean it's it's this style that's too scary yeah it's too yeah <laughs> um it's really really too scary yeah that's too scary for kids um it's 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 very along the lines of uh, Stephen Gamble, the name of the artist for this book, and this guy Chad Worley. He's like an incredible artist, and he's doing all the. So we're we're right now we have 19 stories. We might pare it down still, but and each story is gonna have an image like a, a black and white image like that to go. So that'll be out in the fall. We're gonna do a Kickstarter for it um, in October. Um, and then we'll have to have you back on. Uh when you uh when 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 the kickstarter is happening that'd be around the same time that the ghostly guest is coming out so maybe we can have you back on during our ghostly guest review episode and we can talk about kickstarter yeah i'd be all for it this is is fun yeah well cool Uh, we we will we will include links where you can find all of john's stuff 
that's out right now. Hopefully we can drum up some business. <laughs> with our with our uh, small listener base. Yeah, our 50 listeners. So until next week... Go ahead. Now I'm going to do it. Let's let John do it. Yeah, good idea. John, you want to declare this episode of You Skater this closed for us? I shall do that. All right. Um, so until next week, I declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. Is that, is that what I said? That's it. That's it. You nailed it. <laughs> Got it in one. You're better you're than us. You're going to edit out the, is that what I said? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> All of this is in the is in the podcast oh, no. right now. <laughs> even this, even this. Yeah. It's, still it's, it's, still it's still going. It's still going. It's still going. Good night, It's still going. 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 Still going. I'm walking so away from the mic. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, they hack in. <laughs> I love the idea of of WCW doing World War Three, and then each subsequent year they do World War Four and World War Five, and they just keep adding more rings. Yeah, that's how they. Ha- Eventually, there's no room for the audience. <laughs> You know what? I I take back what I said. It's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're done here.